0: The time is short. Those of you who have been here in this course, the time is nearly over in the blink of an eye. You're here one moment, gone the next. Life can change in an instant. The question for you is, what what use will you make of the time that we have? Whether it's together or whether it's here on the planet. This is why the spiritual path is considered to be a solitary endeavor. You can spend the time here on the planet Doing nothing, you know? You can spend your time uh, sleeping, snoring, you know, tuning out. You can spend your time watching Netflix. You could reach the end of the Netflix library. This could be a goal. This could take many years, right? And then they put new things on and you need to watch again, right? So we, could make, we can make, we can waste our time, is what I'm saying. Or, We can realize the preciousness of the life we have and the time we have, and we can make good use of the time. Life can change in a moment. We have the illusion that things will last forever. We have the illusion that we'll always be here, that there'll be more time to practice later, and that maybe we should do something else that's more entertaining now. We have the illusion that we'll have another chance, but it's not always guaranteed. You don't know. Life can change in a moment. The snap of a finger, everything that we have assumed to be true up until that moment can be disrupted, can change. Perhaps there is no more truth of the last two years of our life other than disruption and change. So if that is not a wake-up call for us to understand the preciousness of what time we have, then I don't know what can be. It's your choice what you make of the time it's your choice. How are you going to make good use of the time? The time we have to practice together, the time you have to practice yourself, and the time you have on the planet, in this body, in this incarnation. Never have this body again. Never have this time again. Once the time is gone, it's gone. Once the time is gone, you can't get it back. What are you going to spend your time on? What are you going to spend your thoughts on? How are we going to you know, occupy our mind in the short period that we have on the planet? Do we continue to engage in the old habit pattern of the past and regurgitate the old stories of conflicts and harp on our divisions within ourselves, within others? Do we let ourselves escape? Do we decide to sleep in instead of show up in practice? Do we decide, eh, I just can't take this. It's too difficult. Do we decide to quit for one reason or another? Or do we decide to show up and do everything we can, do all the good we can for as long as we can uh, with the time that we have? And these are the choices we face every day. And it's up to us to continue that path and to figure out how we can do that work. At any moment, it could all be gone. We have the idea, for example, when I first started practicing Ashtanga Yoga, so many people had the idea that the Joyce would always be there, you know? Oh, I'll go in the future. I'll meet him then. Oh, I don't have time to go to India. I cannot quit my job, leave my family and my pets. You know, What will they do without me to feed them? I'll go later. I'll do it later. I'll do it later, but later never came. And then he died. And then they thought, oh, I missed the opportunity. I'm so sorry I missed the opportunity. I always thought that I would travel to the Vipassana Center in, um, in India to meet the uh, Goenka, and I never did. And then the time was gone, and he's no longer here. So many people, we expect, they will be there forever, and then suddenly they're not. The expectation of eternality is an illusion. It makes us think that this moment is not enough. It makes us think that there is some moment out in the future that we should be waiting for, that we should, that that will be our time. But the spiritual path tells us that this very moment is all we have. If we're not able to make good use of this time, we may never have another opportunity. Those of you who are here in this course, I hope you come back, but we don't know what the future brings, you know, so much uncertainty. We don't know. We hope to see you again. We don't know all we have is this moment and what we've been able to glean from the efforts of our practice that's why our personal commitment to practice is so important why we say it's with patience and persistence why we understand the preciousness of this moment every moment so precious because we're choosing breath by breath we're choosing breath by breath what are we going to focus on what new patterns are we working on in our mind each time we choose to show up in practice Each time we choose, oh, my mind is going here. The thoughts of anger, animosity, ill will, aggression, anxiety, sleepiness, zoning out. All those thoughts are there, but I choose the breath. That choice is monumental, heroic, and courageous. And it has to happen over and over again. Because if we don't, at any moment, the fear kicks in. If we don't, at any moment, the doubt kicks in. If we don't at any moment, the anger is too tempting, too real. The biology of it, too salient in our bodies. The craving for entertainment, for something more stimulating, is too overpowering. So it's up to us to cultivate awareness and equanimity, awareness and equanimity, and to understand the preciousness of our practice. But if we don't, the whole life passes us by, and our dying thought could be, Oh, I missed out. I didn't share more love when I could have. Oh, I didn't work to better myself. Oh, I didn't go and experience the depths of myself. What did I do? I slept in a lot. You know, what did I do? Now you've heard from Tim a lot, so you can say I ate a lot of donuts. You know, I mean, there's nothing wrong with donuts. There's nothing wrong with sleeping but the idea is that if that quality, which those come to represent in a humorous way, so the quality of sleeping, zoning out, escaping, disregard. We have, um, uh, maybe you remember from the Yoga Sutras, we have this concept of disregard, you know, uh, the idea which is beyond doubt. But to disregard, it's almost like a disrespect of the practice, which kind of, it's this feeling of not mattering. Oh, this, I'll do it later. It's a disregard of the practice. I'll take care of it later. You know, the, late, the later pile, the letters we don't want to open, those things which we can look at at a later day. This is disregard for the gift of the practice. And it is one of the obstacles. It's very similar to doubt. It's related to the obstacle of doubt. Um, as long as we have this disregard of the importance of the practice, we'll always be um, doing a disservice to the preciousness of the moment. And it's up to you to figure out how to regard the practice with the respect that it deserves. Um, And it's a total journey, which includes asana, um, meditation, breath work, consciousness and awareness of the mind. And we have to remember that, you know, that we're here is a big testament to our willingness to show up and put in the work. And as you continue, many of you as you go home, it will be up to you to continue that journey on your own with whatever support you can find in your community. And we'll always be here with you as well. So you can, you know, connect in, but it is very much a passing of the baton. You could say when you go home and you're on your own, like many of you are at home now to do the practice on your own is to take care of that baton that's been passed over to you. And it is, um, it's a hard work. Because we're going against the grain of our own patterning, and we're going against the grain of the patterning of what you could call sort of like the world paradigm. So much patterning geared towards anger, hatred, aggression, conflict, so much hatred between uh, beings uh, on an interpersonal level, from on the familial level, even so many families have so much conflict between cultures, between people who are us and people who are them between divisions, so much conflict in the paradigm of the world. So it's difficult to go against that. So we take that baton and we carry it with as much diligence, perseverance, and courage as we possibly can. And we keep practicing We understand the preciousness of the moment. So according to um, the teaching of Vipassana, every sitting should make an impact. And every moment is precious in that sitting. So the teaching always says, make good use of the time. Make good use of the time. And if you didn't, that's okay. You can then make a new commitment. Next time I sit, I won't daydream. I won't snore. I won't go away. You know, I won't uh, lapse into anxiety and this and that. I will do a better job. We make a commitment. We forgive ourselves for our mistakes and we recommit each time. If we've gone off the path, we stop meditating. We stop practicing. We do not beat ourselves up because we are understand that we are one being in the face of the momentum of the planet. So we're up against strong headwinds. And if the headwinds win sometimes, we forgive ourselves and we recommit. We forgive ourselves and we recommit. I have had period, one period of my life where I stopped sitting. It was one of the most difficult periods of my life. I continued my asana practice. But when I came to sit, I couldn't sit. And um, it was very difficult. Uh, I, I was sitting for one hour, uh, you know, morning and evening, and then suddenly I could not sit. I was overwhelmed with emotions. Um, and there was so much emotion uh, that was present. It was overwhelming. When I sat, I became so present to the emotions that I just wanted to run away. And it, it, it sort of came insidiously. So I didn't just stop sitting. I started to stretch instead of sit. I started to lie down instead of sitting. And then I started to think, oh, well, I'm remaining aware as I'm doing this and that. And then I started to do, uh, it just went away, fell away. And I came back to the path uh, with the, the commitment not to return to where I once was, because that's a form of attachment as well. And I felt so intimidated by all the ground I'd lost. I felt well, I used to sit for one hour in the morning, one hour in the evening, and I don't sit at all. How can I go back? So I started sitting again with just five minutes a day. And so this is statistically significant because five minutes a day is the minimum amount of time, which is scientifically measurable to make a difference in your brain and the quality of your day. Five minutes is the minimum amount of sitting. I started off with five minutes again, and I began my sitting journey before I ever got the teaching with five minutes. And then I let it grow from there. Eventually reconnected back in with the community. And now I'm, feel quite firmly grounded again in the sitting practice. And I recognize we fall off the path. Everyone does as human beings. We have to forgive ourselves and recommit. So if you find yourself at home feeling uninspired, you find some weeks or days or months where you have stopped sitting or even stopped the asana practice and we're feeling overwhelmed, forgive yourself and recommit. But don't look back to what you've lost. Build the foundation with a small attainable goal of just five minutes a day and let it grow again. And it'll grow because it's in there. You know, my um, Patabi Joyce used to say, once you start on the path, even if you try, actually you cannot stop. So you're already hooked. But he did say, if not in this life, will you come back? Maybe it has to be the next. But make good use of the time, all right? So, do we have any questions, either from home or from here? Anything we want to review? How did it go for those of you that have been sitting? It was it okay? question, Lynn? I have a good question because okay. okay. uh, I was struggling. You're talking about the violence. Mm-hmm. There's so much, which mm-hmm. the bothers them. Also, this morning I received in China containment again because the virus. So, people mm, in the been lockdown, been locked yeah. in the building, not allowed to move. I'm so All sorry. So, and then we are here seeking the most amazing, beautiful Shala with the best teacher, with most the most nice people. Okay. I feel guilty. Like, mm. Those mm-hmm. things like so violent outside yeah. and why we deserve it. <clears throat> so those, how you deal with those conflicts? Yeah, there's a guilt, well, there's this feeling of guilt, how, why am I so lucky to be here? So what we can think about that is, I am so lucky to be here. Let me make good use of this time. So first of all, that's that. I am so lucky to be here. I'm not in a lockdown, locked in my room apartment uh, because of a COVID lockdown. I'm not being bombed in Ukraine right now. I'm not in a conflict. But I'm not a refugee from Syria trying to find asylum here or there. I'm not, you know, uh, I'm here, privileged to practice. Let me make good use of this time. I must be here for a reason, let me make good use of this time. These beings, they don't have this time, I have this time. It's a testament to how precious it is, number one. Number two, with metta, we are sending metta towards the suffering beings. So if you think someone who's suffering in the lockdown, they cannot leave their apartment, maybe they're struggling, they don't have food, they feel very depressed. So we send them metta, may you be healthy. So you think of that suffering being, you can be very specific and we can feel their pain with compassion and say, I'm suffering with you. We are friends, suffering being. We are not different. I send you love, may you be happy. May you come out of this fruitful. May you rise and reach every obstacle. If we think of beings that are being um, victims of conflict, may you be safe and secure. You know, sometimes I like to think of the aggressors because these are easy to hate. And hate opens up the cycle for violence. So I sometimes like to consciously think of the aggressors of the planet, people that have committed acts of harm, whether towards me intentionally or unintentionally, someone that I identify, what we call um, uh, in in the Patanjali's Yoga Sutras, uh, the the people we call apunya, those without virtue or those we call evil, the aggressors. I like to think of them because it's so easy to hate but they are suffering too. So I I include these aggressors in my Metta practice when I think of the suffering beings. That individual who who made this policy that created all this harm, I send them Metta. May you step on the path. May you awaken from your suffering. May you find the way out of your aggression, your hatred, your fear, your anxiety. May you step on the path of liberation, especially a being in a position of power who is a, it has, a, has a power to impact the lives of many, maybe a policymaker, making putting everyone on the lockdown, to use your example, may this being awaken. May this being feel compassion for all those who are suffering. May this being soften. The illusion of anxiety, fear, may it go so that wisdom arises. I, I make a conscious effort to Send metta to those individuals that, are, that I deem as aggressors, you know? I think it's a big part of the metta practice, actually. But it's, the, it's what we call the alchemical part of the metta practice, as the, the hardest part of the metta practice. And it said that you can really <clears throat> only do that if you yourself are not triggered. So if you are actually feeling hatred, you can't do that. Like, so it's better... Not to disturb your metta practice until you reach what it, what Patanjali calls upeksha or neutrality towards those you deem uh, uh, aggressors. And usually what happens, so you, you, everyone, we know this sutra I'm talking about, this is, you know, a book one, number 33, Maitri Karuna Mudito Pekshanam, Sukha Duka, Punya Punya Vishayanam, Bhavanatas Chitta Prasadhanam. So we went over this with Tim, yeah? So Chitta Prasadhanam. Chitta, the mind, Prasad, Offering to create the yogi's mind is to create citta prasadanam. So a yogi is a light unto the world, an offering unto the world, a holy offering unto the world, a sweetness to the world. Chitta prasad, right? How do we do that? Well, maitri, friendliness, metta, friendliness. Uh, we cultivate this attitude of maitri, a karuna, compassion. So maitri, karuna, mudita, joy, which we call sympathetic joy. We celebrate the successes and virtues of others. can be hard. <laughs> you know? Uh, and then upeksha, equanimity. We, and specifically equanimity, Patanjali advises us to cultivate equanimity towards anyone we deem as aggressors. And the idea is that as soon as we become equanimous to that individual whom we hate, then we can start to see them as a being. And usually what happens is as soon as you see that, then you see their suffering. And then compassion is the appropriate response to a suffering being. But it's difficult until you reach the equanimity point. So most uh, metta teaching either will wait until we're well-grounded before we can do that, what we call like the alchemical part of the process. Um, and this is, this, this is some deep work in repatterning our mind very very deep work and this is why we need anapanasati first because if we're not equanimous all we have to do is say the word conflict and we're like yeah it's terrible and then we're like back in the throes of all of our past patterning Mm -hmm. yeah i see someone at home has raised their hand Hi. hi hi um I'm totally stiff every morning and that makes asana practice painful and a bit frustrating, so I interrupted it for a few months. Is it normal or is there a trick to bypass that stiffness? <laughs> well, this is a really good question and um, I would just uh, like to open it up to everyone also at home if you want to raise your hand if you feel stiff in the morning. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Everybody feels stiff in the morning. Okay. <laughs> nobody does not know. Nobody feels loose in the morning. Okay, maybe you're an infant. Maybe you're loose in the morning. But <laughs> everybody's stiff in the morning. Naturally, uh, according to the way that the body works, you're going to be stiff in the morning. And then as you go around throughout the day, throughout the day, you become more flexible. The body's a little warm. And at the end of the day, you'll feel oh, I can bend. Oh, I feel so much more in my body. However, the reason why asana practice should happen in the morning is because we're trying to cultivate a little bit of tapas, so it should be a little difficult. We're trying to work yeah. with the stiffness so that yeah. we understand how to face the difficulty. That being said, if it's insurmountable, like if it's so difficult, so you feel like you're not going to practice, you can totally practice in the afternoon. Uh, okay. The other thing, if you're, if you're practicing ashtanga yoga, you can do more sun salutations, more sun salutations. So you get more warm, so you do more. And then you can add some, some rigor, some like vigorous activity in the sun salutations. You can do more jumping, which brings more heat in the body. Mm-hmm. Um, and if it's very cold where you are, you can put a heater. And this really heater okay. The heater really helps if you're in a cold space. If you practice okay. with a group, uh, very often we don't need a heater because we're all together generating heat. So, of course, you can also go to a class. You know, uh, but then it's difficult to do in the morning because you have to wake up in the morning and leave when it's dark and arrive there. And then it's very difficult. And I see the students, very difficult, coming in, slowly coming in, setting up the mat, looking very tired. Then somehow they start. And by the end, it's working better. So if you're practicing by yourself, put a heater, do more sun salutations, and accept the stiffness as part of tapas. Okay. So the other thing that's going on is some of the stiffness is also related to the organ system because the organ system is uh, like, it's, it's in its resting state from the night. And so we're trying to get into the organs to do the purification work of the physical part of the practice. So that is okay. It takes a while to get in there. And if we wait till the end of the day, we'll have less organ purification because the organs have already been moving, so they're not in their resting state, so there's less purification going on. So that very stiffness, which you think is an obstacle, is actually uh, part of the foundation of the practice. Thank you. Yeah, super. (laughs) Good. Anyone here have another question? We are good. Okay, good. This is about, we're supposed to have about an hour and a half, so we're right on the mark. Um, Melissa, do you have a question? Yeah. Or, okay, one more question from home. I couldn't tell if it was when we when we all raised our okay. hands or not. You know? okay. uh, just a quick question. Um, during the meditation we are doing here, um, I realized that I start to observe my air quality here as I breathe in. So here I'm living in the city center, and the air quality is not so good. So when I start to observing this air quality. Can it be a Eka or is it something else, like mind game, That's the question? Okay, uh, it, was, the, it was breaking up a little bit, so I'm not sure i fully heard everything. Um, but I think, and I'm going to say your question again, and then maybe you can help clarify, you can type into the chat yeah. as well, because it was breaking up a little yeah. bit. So I think you're asking, is the meditation that we're doing, like single pointed concentration, the ekatatva state, or are we keeping a more open point of focus, and we're allowed to focus here and there and here and there? Hmm. Is that correct? Uh, yes, yeah, somehow correct. Uh, I'm trying to uh, focus my mind on air, air, but during the meditation, because of the air quality is so bad here, my mind is like, okay, I'm with the uh, air, but the air quality. Uh I'm trying to observe the air quality. Is it good? Is it bad? Air quality. (laughs) Oh, (laughs) thank you for clarifying. (laughs) You're observing the air quality. There is no need to observe the air quality. Um, (laughs) You want to be sure? Thank you for clarifying. Between the breaking up of the internet, I couldn't understand. So when we start to observe the air quality, then the place, uh, we start to go beyond the bounds of what we're... Mm. Aiming for, we start to we sort of start to um, use a quality of the mind that isn't as equanimous and aware. We start to move into kind of the thinking mind, over analyzing mind. So now instead of just feeling the vedana, the body sensation, so we're just meant to feel the touch of the breath, the touch of the breath. If we notice, okay. breath is cool, breath is warm, or oh, the air, we could notice. There's a dry sensation, a moist sensation, heavy sensation, but it's all rooted in the actuality of the sensations. If we start to analyze, oh, I feel there's smoke in the air. Oh, I think that maybe the air quality is not so good today. Oh, we start to make a weather report. Then we've gone too far into the analytical thinking quality of the mind and we need to go back to sensation. And this analyzer, it's interesting because the analyzer in terms of our flow of consciousness, is very close to equanimity, but is deceptively different and distinctly different. When we are analyzing something, we think we are being objective, and this is the delusion. But in fact, we are operating from preconceived notions of what should be and what should not be. But we think we are equanimous. So the analyzer is very close to the true seat of equanimity or neutrality, but it is not equanimity. So be careful because that's a very, very close delusion. And many people actually have that, that they, that they think that, an, that, that when they're operating from the analyzer, that they are operating from equanimity. But equanimity is not making value judgments or logical assessments. It's a mere kind of opening to the truth of the moment, and as soon as we start engaging in again this analyzing type of this and that like logical type of thinking then then again we 're in the we're in the realm of logic, and logic is not bad, but what we have to understand is that logic, by its very definition, is based on our preconceived notions of what is and what is not, what should be and what should not be, and logic operates within. a a certain paradigm of assumptions. And as long as we're operating within that, we're not occupying the seat of equanimity. Okay, thank you. Thank you so much. Nice. Great. So uh, again, I just encourage everyone who enjoys the sitting to sign up for the 10-day Vipassana course, dhamma.org. There are courses all over the world. Probably there's a center nearby you. Don't fear the course. If you have something in your heart says, I want to do this, go and do it. Don't worry about anything else. Just go and do it. They feed you nicely. You will hate everything for three days. Then you love everything immediately after. That's usually how, because of course, the rare person that loves it from the beginning, but I, most people don't like it for three days and then fall in love. Uh, otherwise, uh, just continue the sitting as much as you can, five minutes a day. Build up the consistent practice. Stay on the path and make good use of the time. Good. You can redeem a 14 day free trial and get access to our full library of over 3000 classes and also practice yoga with me online. I'd also love to see you in class sometime. So you can find my full live in-person teaching schedule on my website, which is kinoyoga.com. And if you haven't checked out my books, I'd absolutely be honored if you'd check those out. You can find those available at any online bookseller. The Yoga Inspiration Podcast is designed to keep you inspired to get on the mat. And I hope you're leaving each episode with a little glimmer and spark of the spirit, which is the true heart of the yoga method. Thanks so much for tuning in, everyone. May you be happy, may you be peaceful, may you be filled with love, Namaste.